0: Absolutely delighted to have Natalie Moore join me on Women in Confidence today. Natalie is a certified wellness and mindset coach, a yoga and meditation teacher, and also a marathon runner to add to her many accolades. Natalie supports women to achieve their desired levels of health and well-being, elevate to their highest potential, and connect with their physiology for confidence and energy. Natalie's coaching work inspires women to see their whole health as the cornerstone to transitioning through pivotal life stages, achieving personal goals and living their best life. Now, one of the main reasons why I wanted Natalie on the show is because she's an expert on the menopause, or more specifically, the perimenopause, but more to come on that in the show. So I'm thrilled today to be joined by Natalie Moore. Um, Hello, Natalie. How are you? Hello, I'm really great and
1: I'm really excited to be here
0: thank you so much for for giving me your time. Um, And I know we've got a lot to cover um, and you've got lots of experience around women's health. So we'll, we'll get into that um, really soon, but I like to ask my guests to finish this sentence, if you don't mind. So finish this one. Confidence is. Good one. For me, I think
1: confidence is being in your body and knowing your body, and not even, you know, in the physical sense, but in sort of an intuition way, connecting with your mind, and just really, you know, backing yourself and really having that confidence in your body and in yourself um, to, you know, live life as you want to live life, or or do nothing, you know, just having having that confidence and that love and and being in your body.
0: And so, confidence in your body, um, whether that's the physical or the mental, the spiritual. How do you know personally when you know your body? How do you know? Mm,
1: it's an interesting question and you know it's not something that happens overnight for me I've been on my own adventure I, I say adventure instead of journey um for a few years now I'd say seven years since I had my daughter and you know I wasn't in my body if that if that makes sense but i've I've built that over time and it's it's really I guess you just get that feeling. And, you know, I always say to people, we're so busy, we're always rushing from one thing to the next. And even if we're not physically rushing, our mind is always rushing. And, you know, for me, it's about having those moments of stillness. And I've really built that practice up of that mindful awareness and that stillness so that I can hear the whispers of my body and know when something feels right or when something doesn't feel right. And, you know, I always go with that feeling. And I guess that's that's part of my confidence too now is that I just I back myself up based on that feeling that I have in my body.
0: And how do you find stillness? Because I struggle with that, and I know many women will struggle with that because the mind is such a such an amazing tool, but also can work against us. How do you find stillness?
1: Yeah, so I started meditation. And I'm now a yoga meditation teacher as a result of my love for those practices. But I started meditating for one minute and I teach people how to meditate and, you know, they try and meditate for half an hour or an hour without having ever tried it. But it's just having that minute of, you know, mindful stillness, breath work. It actually opens your eyes to stillness in other parts of your day. And again, it doesn't happen overnight. It's something that you have to build on and you have to practice. And, you know, I always say to people, you know, much like we train our physical body to go and, you know, do these physical gym or, you know, running, which we'll talk about um, later, I'm sure. But, you know, we have to train the mind as well. And it's only through those moments of stillness that we practice and we, you know, it might just be, be meditation, it might be mindfulness, it might simply just be breathing. That, that then starts to really train the brain and help us to recognize moments of stillness in our day outside of our practice. And even when I'm teaching yoga, you know I, I always encourage my clients to you know connect with the intention of their practice not just on the mat but also look at what can they take off the mat. And even if it's the tiniest, tiniest thing, it's about, you know, what we do on the mat is actually trans, translating that into our daily life so that we can have those moments of stillness and and quieten that mind.
0: And how does meditation help with confidence, do you think? Great question. And
1: meditation, particularly when I went into my own business and even with, if, with my running and even being a mom as well, that has been a game changer for me in, you know, again, it's I guess it's about quieting the mind. It's about recognising your thoughts. A lot of people seem to think meditation is about stopping your thoughts and, and we can't stop our thoughts. Our mind is constantly going, you know. The average adult has about 70,000 thoughts a day. But what it helps us to do is recognise our thoughts. And when we can recognise our thoughts, we can actually start to acknowledge Are these my thoughts or are these someone else's thoughts? And and why am I having these thoughts? And so that then, I guess, opens up the field around confidence that we start to be more aware of the thoughts that we're having. We start to back ourselves around the thoughts that we're having and we can actually acknowledge and say, you know what, this thought isn't my thought. This is, you know, someone else's thought or someone else's belief that, that is coming into my mind. You know, I can see that that thought's there. But I'm going to go down this path, and I'm going to, you know, take this action instead. So it's very much about, you know, acknowledging what it is that you're thinking, and then deciding upon the action. Um, and I love this fantastic equation, which is, you know, our beliefs equal our thoughts. Our thoughts equal our feelings and our feelings equal our action. And when we're having those thoughts of, you know, that, I guess, elicit positive feelings, but also um, support, you know, responsive actions rather than always being reactive, you know, then then we're living with that confidence and, and we're pursuing confidently, I guess, with how we want to move forward.
0: I love that you say start by meditating for just one moment, you know, one minute, because there are many people and I, was probably guilty of this a while ago thinking meditation was an hour locked in a quiet room being monk like. How do people start meditating? Where where would you recommend people go to start meditating? How do they do it?
1: So I always say just start where you are. So start in your home, um And, you know, I don't believe that there's a right or there's a wrong way to meditate. It's about, again, listening to what your body needs. So for me, I love meditating before I go to bed. And, you know, I, I put the earphones in and um, even, you know, even, I guess with my skill of meditation, I still listen to guided meditations. Um, But when I first started, it was simply just about stopping and breathing. And I actually encourage people to, you know, particularly at moments of stress, if you feel that you're starting to feel stress, stop and breathe. And even if it's just simply taking one breath, I encourage people to take, you know, stop it for a minute or two minutes or take six deep breaths and just be with your body, be with the sensations in your body, slow down that mind, slow down that, you know, sympathetic nervous system and allow yourself to just to breathe. Um, you know, breathing is... I guess, you know, the life force within our body. And it's the perfect way to anchor our attention to be in that moment of meditation. The other thing that I encourage um, well, clients that I've worked with is, you know, whenever we're transitioning from one role to the next. So think about, well, back in the day when we used to drive to physical workplaces, you know, so from home, you drive to work, before you get out of that car to get it, go into the office, stop and breathe. And then likewise, when you come home from work, sit in that car and just breathe and just be in that moment. And, and that is a type of meditation. Then it's really about, you know, being curious. And I'm always talking about having a curious, open mind and, you know, just playing with things and playing with different types of meditations, you know, using using apps or even just putting on some beautiful music that makes you feel great. You know, just grounding yourself in that moment, just being with yourself, being with your breath is a really great way to just simply start uh, meditating.
0: And you talked about an adventure. You're, you're on an adventure at the moment. So you didn't start out running your own business and being a yoga teacher and a meditation teacher. Talk me through your career and, and how you came to be the business owner of Own Your Health Collective.
1: Yes, yeah, so I... Went into uni and I did a Bachelor of Business and I did that because I had no idea what it was that I wanted to do. I actually thought I wanted to get into tourism and travel. Um, and then I fell into a sales role with a pretty big packaging company. So again, not my vision of the type of career that I had. Or wanted to have, but it opened my eyes to some of the things that I love. So, relationship building, you know, watching projects grow from nothing, you know, nurturing relationships with team members, and so I was in um, that uh, sales role for about ten years, and then I had my daughter. And when I was pregnant with my daughter, I remember thinking, "Oh, I'll just take six months off, and I'll be back full time." you know, completely naive. And don't they say, you know, how good is it to be naive? (laughs) Um, Because as soon as I had my daughter, I just, I just wanted to be with her. And I, you know, going back to work full time was the furthest thing from my mind. But then as the months went by, you know, I, I did want to go back because I loved work and I'm a very ambitious person. And, you know, I always, I guess, for, you know, looking forward, thinking that I was, you know, going to climb that corporate ladder. But when I had my daughter, it was it was a struggle, right? It was a real juggle of trying to now navigate this working life with a small baby and a family. And I was so stressed and I would come home so, so stressed all the time and everything was work. It was just rush here, rush there, rush here. And I remember hearing something on a podcast, actually, I was an avid podcast listener and a woman said, you know, I want to work, but if I want to work I need, and I need to put my daughter into care or my children into care, I wanna do something that fills my cup. And that was such a pivotal moment for me. And I thought, yes, I need to find work that fills my cup so that when I come home, I'm giving the best to my family. I'm not giving them the last dregs of my day. And so I spent some time thinking about, all right, I have a yearning desire that there's something more out there for me um how do i turn my passion into a business and my passion was running and i come up with this idea of this business called running fit box which is a subscription box for runners and i loved it you know i was still working four days in my job i had this side hustle i was running marathons i was looking after my daughter but I was the most content I'd ever been in my life, actually. And then one thing led to another and I was having conversations with, you know, friends and women and they said, how are you doing all of this? And I'm like, well, I just, I've just i set myself a goal and I'm working towards that goal. I've got this vision of how I want to live my life and, and that is what's fueling me every single day. And then I thought there's something in this. So I went in and started doing some goal-setting workshops That led me to then become a wellness, health and wellness coach. And I I now really focus on mindset coaching now. And I started another business, which was called Be More. So a play on my surname, but it was about, you know, encouraging women to be more and live more and, and grow more. And then, you know, the universe had a, a wonderful, I guess, um, plan for me. And I met uh, my now business partner, Lisa, and two, you know, respective coaches in, in different fields. Lisa's a nutritional food coach. And we ran an event together and we just felt this really great connection and felt this really great opportunity to bring something to the world around, you know, whole health, and really introducing this concept that you know we can live our best life, we can have our greatest health and well-being, but we need to nurture that whole self. And that's where we went on to create our um, five-pillar framework, which touches on physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. But then, you know, there's this element of this self, and who is this person in the body? You know, how does the body work? What's this person's makeup? and you know it's it, it just it just worked and everything just fitted so nicely and we were so complementary with each other and then you know last year just before the pandemic we formalized everything and created own your health collective and have you know ever since really just you know navigated this this world of um you know i guess bringing our mission forward on what we're trying to do here through this business
0: it's beautiful thank you um i'm going to go back to something you said because i think it's really important You talked about having a vision for how you wanted to live your life. How did you go about creating a vision? What was the process and how long did that take?
1: Yeah, and it's funny, you know, because prior to that time, I would have probably thought vision statements or vision boards are very, you know, woo-woo. But I had just turned 34, actually, and I was to be 35 in December of that year, And that was my goal and that was my vision. And I said, by the time I'm 35, so I had just under 12 months, I am going to be in a new career. I don't know what that looks like, but I want to be in this new career and I want to feel this way. This is why I want it. This is what it's going to give me. This is how it's going to change my family's life. Um, And and that's what drove me that entire year. And, you know, the January that I wrote that out and, and set that goal, you know, all of a sudden, things just changed, and the wheels in motion. And I, you know, come up with this running fit box business, and um, it was it was just everything that I guess gave me that that attention. As I've gone on to study coaching and now work with clients, you know, little did I know that what I'd done back there. Was actually part of that coaching process. It's about helping people to create that vision and really connect to that vision. And probably the thing that I've learned most since that time and through all my um, work is you've got to connect to what it is that you want through the body. So words are only words on paper. But until you actually bring that energy and that connection and that emotion into the body, only then do you really feel connected to it. And are you then, you know, open-minded to what is possible and, you know, start to take those actions towards that vision.
0: that can be quite scary. Opening and making yourself vulnerable to this, you know, physically, spiritually, mentally can put you in a very vulnerable place. Did you feel vulnerable at any point when you were making your vision?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I have to say, I didn't, right? Because I'm—I've always been an ambitious person, and I've always been the sort of person that when I say I'm going to do something, I go and do it. And I've always gone and done things because I've wanted to do it. You know, like I think when I—I travelled overseas by myself at 23, and that was always my dream to go and travel. And no one wanted to come. I had some friends who said, "Yeah, I might come," and I said, "Nope." I'm going. This is when I'm going. If you want to come, and I went three months and travelled around Europe by myself, and then when I come home, I loved it so much, and I said, "Mum, Dad, I'm moving over there." And I'm next year. I'm well. Six months later, I moved to the UK for a year. But I've always just been fueled by, um, yeah, living my best life and, and doing, you know, what it is I say I'm going to do. Um, and I've never been adverse to change. And you know, I, I think what I know now has been the growth mindset. I've always been focused on, yeah, changing because things change, and you know, I'm here to live my my greatest life. So, I I didn't, and I, I think back when I started running FitBox, right? I I didn't have I didn't have a website, I didn't have anything at all. But I, um, a couple of weeks later, there was a fitness expo on in Melbourne, and I went over there and I spoke to all of these panelists, just sharing my idea, and then. People just, they loved it and they said, yes, here, I would love to talk to you, you know, when you're ready to create your boxes and get product, et cetera. So it just showed me that, you know, you've just got to have that, that vision of what you want, why you want it, and just move forward step by step. And I, and I know that that's tricky. And I know um, that, you know, a lot of people do struggle with that, that vulnerability but what we say you know through our coaching is it's about taking small steps small incremental steps what might look very small to someone else could possibly be very big to you you know and and that's okay and it's just you know constantly moving moving forward you know and 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 feeling what you're feeling but always coming back to that vision always coming back to your why mm.
0: i saw on your website that you so you get a lot of pleasure out of seeing people stepping out of their comfort zone and going after what they desire most in life. And I guess that's what you're talking about now, those small steps.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think about, um, it's funny, my husband, so he's, he's a plumber and he's worked for someone for such a long time. And end of 2019, you know, the last two years are a bit of a blur. He was sort of thinking about going out on his own and wasn't sure what to do and so you know i guess in some way i sort of loosely coached him through it and just seeing where he has come to where he is now it's incredible and and he's not um one for change very easily he's a little bit risk adverse so he, he likes you know routine he likes to know what's happening and, you know, it was tough for him in those those early days. He was, he was struggling with that mindset and have I done the right decision? You know, have I made the right move? But it's amazing, again, you know, I just kept him focused on why are you doing this, you know, when it's just you've just got to keep moving forward. And so seeing his confidence grow has just, again, solidifies to me just how important having that vision and just moving forward, having those steps, really connecting to what you're feeling and, and knowing that it's okay to feel fear. It's okay to not have the answers. Um but you know trusting trusting in, in your adventure that you that you're on.
0: So let's talk about own your health collective because I know what it covers but can you tell the listeners what the business does?
1: Yes yeah, so I touched on it before in that we, Lisa and I are two coaches different expertise but very complementary and you know, when we first started, we had this vision of, you know, working with workplaces and individuals to introduce this whole health approach to, you know, living your best life. Interestingly though, it you know, it was very generic learning, even though we had our own spin on it, but we sort of felt like something was missing in in the learning. And we come to this idea around gender specific wellbeing. And interestingly, there's a great lot of research um, from Cigna and they highlighted in their report uh, in 2020 that you know 61% of women in the workplace want to see gender-specific wellbeing programs, and we explored that a little bit more, and we realised that there's huge differences between the way women perform and the way men perform, and the energy levels. And we started talking to women about their menstrual cycles and educating them about, you know, the four phases of the cycle, how that can support them in their work and their life. And then organically, menopause kept coming up and women are really struggling at work in particular, but also in themselves and trying to navigate this, you know, pivotal life stage and so I guess that leads me to where we are today. And Lisa and I, our vision is really about you know, empowering women to come back into their bodies, understand their biology and continue to have that energy and confidence that they want even through these pivotal life stages such as perimenopause. So we work a lot with women individually, educating them about perimenopause and menopause and their menstrual cycles. But then on the flip side, which you know is going to take a little bit longer, we're trying to help workplaces start the conversation and start to address um, you know this this life stage.
0: So let's talk about the menopause because it is a subject that is starting to get a little bit more airtime but is still an area that's perhaps taboo awkward. So let's talk about it now and I think many listeners will be really interested in this. What is the menopause? It's, it's an interesting,
1: again, interesting question because it's amazing when you talk to women and the more we work with women, um, a lot of us don't know what it is. And I have to say, you know, the UK and the US, you know, they're a couple of years ahead of us in really breaking down the taboo uh, because taboo is the word that we hear, particularly when we're speaking to workplaces, you know, they're not sure how to raise this taboo topic. But there's you know, three significant phases of menopause and it starts off with perimenopause. And that is the phase that not many women know about. And that's the phase of life that, you know, can start anywhere from 45 to 55, could even start from late thirties, even early forties. And it can last four to six years, 10 years. It really depends on the woman. And, you know, I guess it's really important to understand all women are gonna go through this phase every single one of us and every single woman is going to have a different experience around perimenopause. perimenopause is the phase where you know we're really struck with most of these symptoms you know that those hot flashes which is probably the one we know a lot about but you've got you know brain fog um you've got you know night sweats poor sleep you know lack of loss of confidence you know low energy you know there's a lot going on in the body you know hormonally there's a lot of changes physically there's a lot of changes um and Circle In actually did some great research last year and you know they highlighted that um there's about 83 percent of women said that you know menopause had a negative impact on them in their life and and in their work so that phase of life in the 40s um through perimenopause is a significant time in experiencing such profound changes then we go on to menopause and now menopause is one day And it's one day after, I guess, the 12 month anniversary that um, a woman has had um, no periods for 12 months. And on that anniversary date, it's that one day is menopause, which again is really interesting. And I have to say, I didn't know this until, you know, last year and i guess that's a thing that there's always a lot of focus around menopause and a lot of um, women don't know that you know it is just one day and it's the lead up and it's the post menopause as well which you know again we have to continue to support ourselves and our health and so after that one day we then enter post menopause and if you think about it women you know we're living 30 to 40 years after menopause and you know we have to continue to support our health support our well-being women through their career life cycle, you know, they sort of, they come back into themselves in their 40s, in their 50s, and their 60s, they're still really excited to do work, but work that lights them up as well. And so, you know, we for, we really focus on that, those whole phases of, of menopause from perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause. But then interestingly too, you know, the more women know about their bodies and their cycles and they're supporting, you know, favorable lifestyles that, you know, supports their health and wellbeing, the smoother the transition can be through perimenopause. Now, that's not to say you're not going to have any symptoms or you won't have a hard time, but it's about having those positive lifestyle factors. So, you know, looking at such things as stress, you know, physical movement, exercise, mindset, mental health, emotional health, it's really about, you know, nurturing those in the early days so that you are aware. And it comes back to, you know, being able to hear those whispers so as we come into perimenopause and we start to notice some changes it's about actually recognizing them and then being able to ask those questions. Unfortunately a lot of women you know have have misdiagnoses over that period of time because you know it can be seen as something else. But again that's where intuition and coming back into your body and and knowing your body and and saying no this isn't right. This this isn't it. This has to be something that you know is happening within my body.
0: Thank you for setting that straight. Because until I met you and also listened to your podcast, I didn't realise that the menopause was just one day, and actually the focus should be on the perimenopause and the postmenopause periods. So let's talk about the perimenopause mainly because I'm interested as well. How can that period of time, whether that is a short period or you know painfully gets dragged out how can that period that period of time affect women's confidence
1: yeah so as i touched on earlier women in particular as they come into their 40s and we spent some time interviewing women late last year actually and you know they highlighted the same thing that you know come into their 40s their kids are a bit older kids are a bit more independent they they're free of sort of those really um, you know caring constant caring duties and it's their career that gives them the greatest level of satisfaction, um, purpose and fulfillment. And, you know, that they're, they're thriving in their career. And then, you know, come mid 40s or even early 40s, bang, they're all of a sudden, you know, um, coming into perimenopause. And it can be a huge shock for women um, and it can change their whole being because, you know, as I touched on the symptoms earlier, you know, the hormonal changes, brain fog, the physical changes, you know, the, the hot flushes and um, it changes the way that women communicate. All of a sudden they're really struggling with low energy. They're finding that, you know, they can't do things the way that they were doing them previously. And if I come back to that research from Circle In, you know, one of the things they highlighted was that you know, forty three percent of the women they interviewed lose focus in meetings. So all of a sudden, you know, they've been able to really communicate and articulate their message in meetings or with with um, staff members, and then it just goes, you know, like a like a light switch. It just it it, um, it switches off, and and those sorts of things really impact their confidence. The other thing too is that, you know, a lot of women are really uncomfortable in having the conversation. And a lot of women, you know, um, their managers might be male, even female as well, but they struggle to talk about it because for a lot of us, we feel like it's the end of our life. It's the end of our womanhood. And I guess perhaps maybe the first thing is we don't want to admit that that's, what ha- that's what's happening, but we're also embarrassed to admit what what is happening as well. and. I feel like those feelings of embarrassment and shame and guilt are really ingrained in women In society right you know if you reflect back you know to when you first get your period there's not a lot of education around you know that first period or your first monthly cycle and um, you know there's some fantastic research out there proving that you know girls throughout their life and then into womanhood have this sense of shame and judgment and guilt and lack of worth because of their monthly periods and that is just something that's ingrained in women throughout their entire life, unless, you know, they, I guess they start to learn about themselves and really see um, just how powerful their cycle is. So, and it's almost like, you know, perimenopause comes and it's like all those feelings they had in, you know, the decades prior to this just come flooding through, through that perimenopause phase, coupled with all of a sudden these crazy changes in their body, changes in their, in their mind. Um, and it's, you know, it it just has a whole round
0: effect on the way women, um, live and, and work. So how can you, how do you do and your business support businesses to understand what the menopause is, the perimenopause and how it can impact on women in their businesses? What, what do you do or what can you advise? Yeah.
1: So the first step is that education, but more importantly, the education for the individual woman, first and foremost, because a lot of women don't know what it is that they are going through. And without that awareness as to what they're experiencing, really experiencing, they don't know what support they need. So we always start off with working with the individual women, but in, I guess, tandem to that, it's working with the men as well. Um, because the men are going to have a partner or a sister or a mother um, or, you know, colleagues who are going through this. And so there's that whole element of education, awareness and connection um, and communication so that people understand this is a very natural phase of life. All women are going to go through it and it's that is the first step to really breaking down that, that taboo barrier. Then the next step is really opening up and educating um, leaders within the business on how to actually um, communicate with their female employees and further than that, creating that culture of psychological safety. Now we talk a lot about psychological safety in workplaces but this, this is needed for this particular topic. And if I think back, you know, we have come leaps and bounds in discussing, you know, maternity leave, paternity leave. There's companies doing menstrual leave, um, stress leave. You know, we've we've really, you know, moved forward, possibly very slowly, but we're still having those conversations that were seen as taboo in the past. And so this we feel is then really the next phase of life that we have to open up conversation and we need to normalise. And then through the leadership um, education, there's that element of continued coaching and awareness and actually allowing the entire organisation to see just how pivotal it is to continue to have these women in the workplace um, because it has been labelled a silent career killer for women because it just becomes too much for a lot of women. But also more than that, you know, particularly in today's environment, workplace is becoming very conscious about female representation and workplace gender equality. And, you know, when you've got younger women coming through the workplace, they want to see older women in senior positions in the workplace. And it's that whole mentality that, you know, I can't be what I can't see. So if younger women coming in and not seeing, you know, those senior women in these senior positions, you know what? What chance do they feel like they've got in the future as they get older? So it's a whole company approach and really highlighting that you know women are pivotal for not just um, their work but the culture of the business. It even extends as wide as the economy, the community. Um, you know we're we're very pivotal in um, you know the whole I guess um, the way that businesses and the economy and community um, operate. So. It, it requires a whole company approach. And then, you know, we then we really encourage around, you know, having policies and bringing in specific policies around whether it's, you know, whether it's leave, um, you know, what are sort of the processes around supporting women? You know, what do they need? What sort of tangible things can you bring into the workplace to support these women?
0: Thank you. That sounds amazing. Um, and I really support the work you do with businesses because I do know it's tricky to have these conversations and it can be tricky to make change happen. So I fully support what you're doing. I want to go back to something you said a while ago about the menstrual cycle and you said it's really powerful. And also just touch on, I remember my education around my periods and it was just around what you do with it, not in a more negative sense, but but you talk about how powerful the menstrual cycle is and how it can really benefit women. Could you talk a bit about that, please?
1: Yeah, so we've sort of coined the term the female advantage and have actually created a signature program around that because we do strongly believe that the female body and our cycles are so, so powerful in our ability to, to live and, and work as we want to. We have a 28-day cycle every month. And we are actually, all those cycles are made up of four phases. So you've got menstruation, follicular, ovulation, and, and luteal. And we've actually likened them to the seasons of the year. So menstruation being winter, um, follicular being um, spring, ovulation being summer, and then luteal being autumn. Because, you know, we've got across the four phases, there's two high energy phases and two lower energy phases and the beauty of knowing this is it allows us um, permission to be quiet be still slow down in those lower energy phases which you could probably take as menstruation and and luteal and winter and autumn so think about you know those phases or seasons of the year we tend to slow down we tend to hibernate a little bit more we want to you know eat those sort of you know stews and soups but then come spring and summer you know, we've got higher energy. We, we want to go out and be social and we want to do all these things and, you know, dress feminine and eat salads. And, um, that's, that's the way our cycle works. So high energy and, and low energy. And what that actually also helps us with is communication. So at different times, we're very quite social and we can have some really great conversations. Whereas other times we're perhaps a little bit more reserved, a little bit more, um, introvert. Food, we can eat differently or should eat differently across the four phases of our cycle as, as well, and movement too. So in the lower energy phases, we probably want to focus on, you know, like yoga or Pilates or walking, whereas, you know, in the higher energy phases, you know, go out and smash out that run or smash out that real high intense cardio workout. And that was a huge aha moment for me, particularly as a runner. I could never understand why, you know, one day I could go and run, you know, for two hours and then the next day I start my run and I haven't even done 1K and I'm, you know, panting thinking what's going on. But it it really does have an impact on your energy levels and, and your physical ability as well. The other thing that's interesting too is that the way you're feeling in one cycle will actually impact the way you feel in your next cycle, so we really focus on setting intentions. So in the beginning of your cycle, which is menstruation, setting your intention for how you want to feel for the rest of the cycle, and again coming back to that throughout your cycle. Because you know if you're feeling good, um, you know stress levels low, you're feeling you know and en- energetic. To you know depending on where you're at in your cycle, that impacts how you feel on the next next cycle. Um, and I guess just to finish up, you know, we love the fact that, you know, every 12 months or sorry, every month within 12, we can sort of reinvent ourselves, you know, and, and we almost are like four women in, in one month, if you think about it. And, you know, if something didn't work the last cycle Okay. Let's see. What could we do in this cycle? So that's, that's what we mean by, you know, power or coming to your advantage that we almost get to reinvent ourselves and, and make changes as we go along, which, you know, in comparison to men, they work on a circadian rhythm. So, you know, 24 hour clock and they're the same. You know, they're, they're high energy in the morning, but lower energy in the afternoon. And again, that was such a huge aha moment for me. Where I'm like, oh, that's why my husband's just, you know, sprawled on the couch in the evening because he's exhausted, you know, but in the morning he's up and to go. It's just, yeah, it was such a funny moment actually learning that.
0: Let's talk about you then, because you talked about smashing out a run and knowing, um, depending on where you are in, in the cycle, you're feeling energized or it's just, you know, a really hard run. How did you get into marathon running? I'm just so curious by this because it's such a long way.
1: Yeah, so I was a non sporty kid. I, I loved sport, but I didn't do I didn't do much of it. Um, I was the academic of the family, so always in the books and always supporting my brother and sister in their sporting endeavours. And I was 25, and I used to walk around uh, the track near me around the river and um well my husband boyfriend back then I said to him I said I see all these people running why can't I run and he was into running and football and everything and he's like well I'll help you let's get you around the track and so it was a 4k track and you know I ran sort of bridge to bridge I'd walk the bridge and then run the other side and and one day I just managed to run the whole thing and I was heaving over a tree at one point just so sick I'm like this is incredible." And um I just built my running up from there and slowly did a 10K and then I did a half marathon and then I thought, you know what, I'm gonna go full hog here and do a marathon. And it it was intense. It was it was yeah, really tough. But and I said when I finished that's it, I'm not doing another one. But here I am. <laughs> I've done six and I did I've done an ultra as well. Um I just I love the thrill of seeing what I'm capable of. It's, it's that ambitious side of me. Um, I love seeing the strength in my body and the strength in my mind. And it's, it's become me. It's become who I am. Um, I, I think I'm I'm okay without it as well, but it's it's a big part of me, and I love just you know having that goal and having that training and and really just nurturing that discipline and again you know having that open mind and curiosity around what am I capable of doing here. Um, so it's yeah, it's something that's been I've just I just love knowing that I can get out and move my own legs. My legs can take me from here to there. And just, yeah, seeing the strength in my mind
0: and body has um, just keeps fueling me every time. And you've recently completed one. I saw I was tracking you on LinkedIn. How long did it take you?
1: Yeah, so I did an interesting one. So I was meant to run Melbourne Marathon, but that got rescheduled um, because of um, restrictions. And I'd been doing all this training since June. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go out and do it myself and I ran that same track that I was talking about earlier and I ran it tw- 10 times, same same loop over and over. And I'd had a pretty ambitious time that I wanted to set, but then halfway through I was on track and I thought, well, oh, geez, this is, this is going to be a tricky one. No people, no spectators, just on your own. Um, and so I did that in 3 hours 43. So um, that was two, two minutes off my um, best time. Um, but it's probably my proudest marathon actually, because it's one that really did challenge me mentally, just going around loop after loop, no one around. Um, and I finished really strong. So it was just a really nice reminder to me just how good my training was and, and how strong I was in, in the body and, and in the mind.
0: It's beautiful. Well, well done for that. Um, I just want to talk about something that you said a couple of times, you said you're ambitious. Um, And I would certainly describe you as driven and disciplined. I mean, to run a marathon, you have to be disciplined. Were you always like that? I think when you were were growing up, were were you always ambitious or aware of your ambition?
1: I was definitely ambitious. I don't think I was aware of it. And I sometimes think, gee, I wish I knew about this back when I was young. And I always joke to my husband, you know, if I'd started running earlier, perhaps I could have ended up at the Olympics and I joke about, you know, going into the Master Olympics one day. Um, yeah, I it's funny. I don't think I had enough confidence in myself and I think I did get caught up in, you know, not, not being too big or not, you know, um, going, going with the grain a little bit, as much as I wouldn't go with the grain. And I was always in my lane, you know, it's, I guess when you're a teenager, you don't want to stand out too much. So you, you play a little bit small. Um, so I, I definitely was driven. I always have been driven. Um, but I don't think back then I was really aware of it. And I don't think, you know, Motherhood, geez, that just changes you in so, so many different ways. Um, it wasn't until yeah, I, I had my daughter that I I really found that that drive and that real deep ambition. And I guess that's a result of where I am today, but I have found the thing that I love doing. You know, I've i found running, I've found the career. Um, and I feel like, yeah, my drive and my ambition has just, you know, grown so, so much.
0: Yeah, that whole piece about becoming a mother is a whole different podcast episode and the impact it can have on confidence. So yeah, I need to maybe have a, have, get you back and we'll talk about that whole experience <laughs> of becoming a mum and, and yeah, that life-changing experience. So in the last few moments of the podcast, can you give the the listeners sort of one piece of advice that would really help them support their confidence as a woman?
1: Yes. Do you know, the thing that I love teaching people about as as a first step is, again, it's that coming back to yourself. But I think this one is about your values, about really knowing what's important to you. So our values, just to define them, you know, they're your heart's deepest desires. They're the things that, you know, um, help you make decisions. They're the things that make you choose between this or that, um, and help really direct your attention. And, you know, that was a pivotal thing for me. And I, in my job before I left, I was part of a project for the company around identifying the values and mission for the business. And I loved the project. And, again, that just highlighted to me how much I loved doing this type of work. But I realized in that moment that the company's values weren't aligned with my own. And so I needed to do some exploration around what were my values, what were the things that were important to me, particularly now that my life had changed. And it was just knowing those values helped me to make decisions that I guess set me on the course that I wanted to go on, you know, and I always talk to people about, you know, shoulding all over yourself. So I should do this because that'll make this person happy or I should do this or I should do that. When you know your values, you can unapologetically do the things that make you feel good and i always say you you because you're going after something that you are passionate about it doesn't mean that that's going to be negative on someone else you know we can live in alignment to how we want to live and and do the things important to us without doing it rudely or selfishly because the first thing women say was oh i couldn't do that because this person would feel this way but I always say, but, you know, how would they feel knowing that you're doing something that you don't want to do? You know, it's about recognizing, again, that intuition, that gut feeling, because when we live in alignment to how we want to live, we're showing up to other people in our best light. And so that creates that that ripple effect. So definitely coming back to your values and and your values, you know, again, as women and as mothers, the first thing we want to do is think about the values of how it's going to impact our family. And it's okay if family is not your top value, you know, but it's recognizing that, you know, if your values is around your health, you know, your happiness, um, you know, your fulfillment, well, again, that, that flow on effect is going to come to your family, which is, you know, the overarching reason why we do the things that we do as well. So yeah, definitely values is a really good first step.
0: And I've spent a bit of work on myself, looking at my values and the things that are important to me. And the podcast was one of the results of that. So Natalie, how can people contact you? How can they reach out to you and the work that you do through your business? Yes.
1: So you can go and check out our website, which is ownyourhealthco.com.au. We're on Instagram as well at ownyourhealthco. And on LinkedIn too. I love connecting with like-minded people on LinkedIn, which is
0: um, just look up Natalie Moore and I'll put all those details in the in the show notes so people can access those. I just want to say Natalie a huge thank you uh, for being on the podcast and being so honest about yourself but also sharing with the audience around the menopause the perimenopause and really leaning into that conversation and allowing other people to have the discussion to really understand what it means and how it can have a big impact on them. And and I really, uh, you know, I've said it before, but I really support that you're uh, the work you're doing around this important workplace issue. So I just want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been great. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed it too.
1: I have, and thank you. Thank you to you also
0: for inviting me to be on. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to Women in Confidence and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, then please like it, share it, comment on it. And if you want to, sponsor it. If you'd like to take part in my podcast or know somebody who would make a perfect guest, then please email me on contact at vanessa-murphy.com. That's contact at vanessa-murphy.com. Until next time.